The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. ...hindrance attack, where they all come together, but they keep trying, they keep trying to wake up, bring mindfulness, be mindful of it. The person who just sailed along didn't develop any strength of mindfulness, didn't develop any self-understanding of how to work with it, because they just kind of coasted in this relaxed place. And the person who had to str- really work hard and be mindful, they really developed themselves. It wasn't so satisfying, but it's more portable to develop your skill and your strength in practice than it is to have a nice experience. Portable means that you can go to different places and bring it with you if you develop the muscle, in a sense. But if uh, you don't have the muscle strong, then, you know, if the conditions are right, it might, might work, but then you're not prepared for when it's going to be challenging in the future. So both, both, you're lucky to have both in one day. It was interesting to when I started tracking both because first I was tracking once at night, once yeah. in the morning, kind of, oh. but then I started to really see the pattern. Nice, I think, <laughs> it's, I, think it's, I think that's great. Someone else doing that, uh, filling out that exercise. So, so yeah, I, I saw it change throughout the week, and I also saw how some of the hindrances made it actually challenging to think about the hindrances. I overthought it a lot. Um, so I, I had a question. There was, there was also that list of things to, to rate, concentration, motivation, and the like. And, and, my, and, I, and perhaps I did it wrong, but I, I, my, my thinking on those changed throughout the week. At first I was thinking, if it, if it was easy to concentrate, for example, I rated it highly. And then I thought later in the week, well, perhaps I don't want to be concentrating. I just want to be going with the flow. So, you know, how how might you suggest thinking about those those other attributes that we were you know rating? Well, what occurs to me it's a good question, and what occurs to me <clears throat> is uh, um, maybe it's not so important what I had in mind or what exactly those mean. What's important is that what you think they mean, so that uh, you because it's really meant to be a mirror for yourself. And so, even if you had a completely different idea than what we had in mind. Uh, it might be the perfect mirror for what you're going through, what you're, you're about. So I think ha- having that, uh, the subjective personal quality to this and not looking outside for a standard about how it's supposed to be actually, actually is helpful for mindfulness. You're not supposed to... So I'm, I'm using you as an excuse to kind of make a more general point that we, we don't want to kind of try to fit ourselves into some external standard about what the right practice is. Um, but rather we, we, we want to use the mindfulness as a kind of a mirror and grow in self-understanding, know ourselves. And as we know ourselves, then we'll, we'll develop a skill and ability to practice in a way that's useful for us, that's supportive, that's freeing. But if, you know, if someone thinks that there's a right way, too much rightness is in meditation is wrong. <laughs> we get all wrapped up. That's, I remember last week I said, you don't want to be too, be too good at this. Is that, is that an adequate answer for you? Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Great. Someone else? Maybe one more? Oh, yes, Fiona. Um, I found it um, somewhat challenging during sitting uh, because of the rating. <laughs> the rain? I knew at the end of the sitting, 
Oh, the rain, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, it really took me a, uh, a while to actually just sort of sit and not be, have another voice grading me uh-huh. at, at the same time. You know, like, oops. You know, it, so uh, I wasn't really, <laughs> it felt like, okay, I, I was observing, I wasn't quite there. Yes. And, um, but then I, I went on the back of the page and, and wrote like notes. That almost was, uh, I, I, so I filled out your form, but it felt good to me to go on the back and then just sort of uh, think about the setting and what actually happened mm, without sorry. a grade. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice, that's very nice. And when I practiced uh, in Burma with my Burmese teacher, uh, that was the instructions, was at the end of every sitting, we had to do field notes. And uh, we weren't supposed to evaluate the sitting. We weren't supposed to judge it, and, you know, and, and we weren't supposed to theorize about it. It wasn't journaling and trying to, well, this means that, and this is why. And it was just like being a naturalist and just write down the field notes. Um, uh, the hindrance of ill will arose. And, you, don't, you know, you don't write, oh, it's because of my mother when I was six, and... No, the hindrance of ill will arose. Uh, it took a while to notice it. I noticed it. When I noticed it, I felt that I was tight in my stomach. I brought attention to the tightness of my stomach. And then it loosened up a little bit, and I noticed the hindrance got a little bit lighter. But then it got replaced by fear. And it took a while to find where the fear was in my body, but then I found it in my, in my solar plexus area. And I brought attention to that, and then I just, I found that I kind of resisted it and was a little bit cautious around it. But I just stayed there and did the best I could, just and after a while it dissipated. So there's no evaluation, it's just a kind of field notes of what I experienced and how I practiced with it. And what happened to me when I did that in Burma is that uh, there was, it kind of encouraged me to, not to be self-conscious and think about it, but it encouraged a kind of heightened awareness that I liken to the kind of attention you use if you want to memorize something. You read something, you want to memorize it, you're kind of like paying attention a little bit more fully or taking it in more fully. And so it was that little heightened attention that I brought to my sitting. And for me, it supported me getting concentrated and present and, because I knew I had to write this thing afterwards. So, so your notes at the end, maybe for you, is great. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead Cedric. Well, I, I found this was um, really useful, especially considering the instruction you gave before to be uh, really simple and um, just simply notice how we are and be honest with our preoccupations, our feeling, and not try to jump in and go straight to to focus on. And that, uh, for me, um, doing that was uh, challenging, and also um, the instruction to notice the hindrances made me notice much more the desire to change my experience mm-hmm. and to achieve something and, and that this isn't good enough and I should focus on my breath and noticing uh, yeah it was very humbling and I, I 
I saw m much more clearly, specifically, like, mm -hmm. uh, desire and desire to... So you, to, saw, to so, so you saw desire operating in desire to get something, and you learned to be simple with that. It was kind of humbling to see how much it was, and it was, much, it was helpful for you just to be very simple with and seeing the desire yes. and not mm -hmm. get caught in it. Yes. Fantastic. Humbling. Humbling. Yes. Yeah, nice. Um, I noticed also that for me... Uh, Lethargy and aversion didn't come often or very little, so I wondered. So that made me. That also made me reflect: Is it more? Is it? Is it really because it didn't rise, or is it because I'm not recognizing it, or I'm not reading it? Yeah. So just. So lethargy and and ill will. Yeah. And Ill -will. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that uh, I think it's great what you're seeing, and that part of the task of all of us, including you here, is to uh, become experts in how this works in you. And you can only become because you really want to understand how the magic show is made. Then you won't get caught in the magic of it, right? You won't be mesmerized if you really understand how your mind operates with the hindrances, how how it relates to desire, how it believes in a desire, leans into it, holds on to it reacts to it, um, you know, the dynamics of desire, the dynamics of ill will, the dynamics of the hindrances. And the more you understand it, the wiser you become about it, the less likely you're going to be caught in it. You'll find more freedom from it. The bad news of what I'm saying is that in order to become an expert, you have to have them. So you can look at them and study them. But that's also good news, because if you're a human being, the hindrances will come. That's kind of built into being human. It's a kind of very common phenomena that arise. And so uh, rather than taking it some terrible personal failing, it's a reminder that you're human. And, uh, and your job is to study them, get to know them. And very few people take the time to really see and look and understand how this works, how their mind gets caught in, this, in their web. Uh, and the part of the task of mindfulness is to, because we keep showing up to look at it, to be present for it, to see it, the understanding will begin to dawn on you. And so I, I think that for you, you you're, you're, you're launched. You're launched. You, you started the process. Then I'm still on. Hold it closer. So like I said, I'm, I resisted a lot the urge to do something or kind of use a strategy to 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 improve the experience. Uh -huh. or, but now I'm really confused, and that's doubt about when to actually do something. You know, tinker a little bit. <laughs> just my personal. Yeah. I've resisted a lot, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah, that's I a good. That, yeah, yeah, that, that's a great. That's a great issue. I mean, when do we just let? resist to attempt to try to fix something and change something? We, when, when do we just let it be? And when do we actually get involved and change something? Your knee hurts. Do you, do you adjust your posture so that the, you, don't, you don't sit with the pain? Or do you just sit n noticing you have desire to change? And just don't, don't adjust it. So that takes wisdom, which is to be a little bit of a topic for today. And... Uh, uh, and wisdom comes partly from experience, and experience comes from making mistakes. 
So it's partly trial and error, meaning we try something. So I keep, you might notice, I'm always trying to fix things. I'm always trying to adjust it. I didn't know how much I was doing that. I think what I should do now is try not to adjust it for a while. Maybe for the next week, I'll experiment with just being present without making any changes. And then after a while, you realize, you know, that was kind of silly because, you know, the, you know, the, the back room of my house was burning down. (laughs) You know, I I think I should have gotten up and taken care of it. So, um, anyway, so, so you want to, sometimes they're part of the, part of the way we move forward in mindfulness practice is a trial and error. And through the trial and error, you get the uh, evidence, you, get the, you learn the lessons to become your own teacher and find your own way. Is, is that, how does that sound? That sounds uh, great. Um, great. It's and, and, uh, and one tough of the, to accept our mistakes. Sorry? It's tough to accept our mistakes sometimes. No, I can't hear because... No, it's no problem. Okay. The, um, and so part of the trial and error is knowing, noticing when you're doing trial and error too much. <laughs> you know, if you're always doing trial and error, then you just get agitated. So, so just get relaxed, at ease. But there is a kind of, you know, take your time and then uh, lots of time. And if anything, we kind of err, we kind of lean in the direction of leave, leaving things alone and not fixing, not changing, just really showing up and being present for things. Of course, there's times to change. So that's part of the art. So I think it's a good uh, 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 kind of introduction to what we're going to do today. And I'll start off by um, evoking a little teaching that I do often in the intro class. And that is that um, uh, I very much like the word respect as a synonym of mindfulness. And the reason I like this word is that in, uh, from Latin, the word respect can be understood in English to mean, is this okay for you? That we turn it off now for you. Can, can, we, can, we, can, can we make it a little bit, maybe turn it up two degrees there? So, so my, yeah, Kate will do it. So it becomes slightly warmer then. The, the, the art is how it goes up to 76? 77, okay. Let's leave it there. Because uh, some people will get a migraine sometimes if there's too much uh, cold air blowing. So we'll see if that makes a difference. So the, the word respect um, from Latin kind of means to look again, spect- like spectacle. And uh, so to look again. And uh, part of mindfulness is involved taking a good look at what your experience is. And the idea that you're taking a second look uh, is a nice idea. When I was relatively new to this practice, I, I did the kind of checklist approach to mindfulness, where I would no, I knew I was supposed to be mindful of things, and so I would be aware of something. And it was like I checked it off, done with that, let's go on to the next thing. As if, you know, the, the more things I could note and check off, you know, the, you know, the quicker I get through the test. But the idea is not to how many things you can be aware of, but rather the quality of, how, of your awareness. And part of that quality is to take a second look or to take a deeper look at what's happening. 
So, so there's a choice made to, t- to look at, to stay there. Let's take another look. Let's look more carefully at this. So if you're, if you're staying with your breathing in meditation and you feel your breathing, so it's easy with the breath also to kind of just suddenly, um, you know, just be with it for a moment. Moment of the in- inhalation and then the mind goes off in thought. But the idea is to kind of take a deeper look at the inhalation. Just really look at it again. Look at it more fully. Take it, experience it more fully, the whole experience of breathing in. So for example, the inhalation has a duration in time, maybe relatively brief, but um, to see if you can have equal quality of attention the whole length of the in-breath. Because the mind will keep jumping off, even that short time. And, and you, might have a, you know, might have a high quality attention for a moment and then you've been drifting off in thought or get a little bit lazy or kind of you've done your job, like my checklist approach. And, um, or, or say there's a hindrance comes up and so you have this, um, you know, you check it off, you know, there's desire. But then you, you don't want to just kind of move on. The idea is to kind of take, a, take a, a second look or look at it more carefully. Allow there to be a relaxed, fuller registering of the experience. That continuity of attention, just be with there. And sometimes we take a third look and a fourth look, meaning just kind of stay there and be there with it, really to get to know it. And that does a couple of important things. One is it helps us to see it more clearly for what it is. But equally important is that we're beginning to learn a way of being attentive that's relaxed and direct, where we're not reactive to the experience. So if I feel uh, a knee pain, uh, I might note it, be aware of it for a moment, and I might recoil from it and go into my thoughts and try to avoid it, or I might react to it. But then the idea is, let me go just bring and take a second look. Let me be there for a few moments with that knee pain to really experience it. And as I experience it, I notice that uh, I really hate it. And so I'm tightening up because of my aversion to it. The hindrance of aversion is operating. But then I see that, and then I let go of the aversion, and then eventually I learn to just be with the pain for a few moments in a very simple, equanimous way, with no reactivity to it. And that's a powerful thing to do. Even if you can learn to do it for a few moments, that's the beginning of a training of a different way of living your life living your life wisely, connected to your life, but not being pushed around or caught up in all the details of what's happening. So the idea of respect, giving things a second look. So in this sitting that we'll do now, um, I'll do a little guided meditation to get us settled a little bit, and then um, ask you to do a kind of a second look at certain things, and you'll see, see what you learn about yourself and how well you're able to have that second look be equanimous or spacious or just kind of non-reactive. So taking an upright, alert posture. And gently close your eyes. And it's often good when you start a meditation 
to begin by doing something that helps ground you in your body. The body is the support for mindfulness. So a body that is upright, but also relaxed. And you might begin by taking a few long, slow, deep breaths. And as you exhale, soften your body, relax. As you exhale, ease up on what's happening. And then letting your breathing return to normal. And take a few moments more with your body, perhaps by feeling in a clear, direct way, the contact of your body with your chair or your cushion or the floor. Perhaps in that contact you can feel stability. Weight. A kind of groundedness to this time and place. So that contact with the chair and the cushion is a definitive reminder that you're here. And now, you might soften around your shoulders. And you might soften your belly. And then similar to how you grounded or settled into your body, you might see if it's possible to do something similar with the mind. And take a few moments to feel the energy or the substance or the, of your mind. Maybe it's calm, maybe it's agitated. Then maybe as you exhale, see if you can soften the mind. Relax any holding you feel in the mind. 
perhaps by relaxing the thinking muscle, relaxing the tendency, the energy of thinking. And then allow yourself to experience your breathing, the sensations in your body as you breathe. Offering respect to those sensations and the sense of taking a deeper look, clearer look. But not by straining, but more like opening the windows so you can see more clearly. that giving the breathing a second look is to have more continuity through time with the breathing. Kind of like you're petting a cat and you keep your hand on the fur of the cat the whole length of the pet, the whole length of the stroke. So you take the hand of awareness and let it kind of stroke the whole length of the in-breath, the whole length of the out-breath. the mind wanders off in thought. <clears throat> it's not a problem if you know clearly that's what's happening. You can even respect the thinking mind by recognizing it again more fully. Not as a problem, but something to know clearly that this is what's happening, your mind is thinking. It's in that second look where we can begin to experiment with being free, to recognize without being caught, to know clearly what's happening without being caught up in preferences, 
liking and not liking. Just knowing clearly. And after you've clearly recognized and respected your thinking, then come back to breathing, offering the same respectful attention to your body breathing. If there is a strong body sensation that arises as you're sitting here, bring that respectful attention to the body sensation. Give it a second look. Experiment to see if even for a few moments you can find that respectful attention that sees clearly without preferences or without wanting or not wanting, allows the sensation to be there as if it has permission to exist. And your job is just to know it. If there are emotions that arise that are compelling, bring that respectful awareness to the emotions. Take a better look at it and see if in the looking or the awareness, if you can be equanimous or relaxed, at ease, Just seeing, no judgments. If there's a lot of thinking going on, see if you can bring that respectful attention to the thinking, that kind of attention that looks at it, sees it clearly, knows it clearly, but doesn't get involved in it, doesn't think about it, doesn't evaluate it. 
awareness which is not bothered by it, just knows it. And whenever it makes sense, begin again with your breathing, offering that respectful attention to breathing. And in practicing this respectful attention, there are a number of other factors that come into play that you might not notice, but they're there. The first dimension is that you might have some degree of confidence or lack of confidence in this practice of attention. If if the confidence is strong, then you might give yourself over to just knowing with some enthusiasm. But if there's a lack of confidence, you might be reluctant to really offer respectful attention. you might notice the degree to which there's confidence for you in a non-judgmental way. Just how does that work for you? How in a relaxed way, without trying too much, can you allow there to be more confidence that supports attention? Another factor that comes along with the practice of attention is the degree of effort or energy that we have for doing so. If there's little confidence, we don't really apply effort, much energy to it. If there's confidence, sometimes it's a natural kind of infusion of effort, energy. 
or maybe the better word is engagement. And as you're sitting here practicing respectful attention, how much energy is there for doing so? Strong, weak, balanced energy, how is it? And as you're sitting here, there'll be some degree of concentration or stability. You bring respectful attention to something and you can kind of stick to it for a little bit. You have stability, focus, really be there. That concentration might be relatively strong or relatively weak. If it's weak, we we kind of slide right off right away. If we're stronger, we kind of hang in there and stay for a second and third look. And how is it for you? What's the degree of concentration or stability? And then as you're sitting here, another factor that comes along with attention is understanding. And we can have a very simple understanding of how the practice is going. Understanding what we're bringing attention to, understanding of how to apply ourselves or understanding of what gets in the way or distracts us we can understand that we want to offer a second look. We can understand the difference between being reactive to the experience and being non-reactive. We can understand the difference between seeing or feeling, sensing the experience versus thinking about it. And without doing a lot of work, there can be just a natural degrees of understanding that are either there to support the practice or that's absent. And how is it for you?
And then finally, this practice of respectful attention. There's a quality of mindfulness or awareness that's intimately integral to it all. And there can be a range, a degree of how clear that mindfulness is, that awareness is. Is there a clarity of awareness of what's happening in the moment? Or is it fuzzy? or intermittent, or weak. So last week we talked about the five hindrances that take us away from being present. This week the focus is on the five things that help support us to stay present. Confidence. Effort. Concentration. understanding and mindfulness. So to end this sitting, You can take a couple of deep breaths, feel your body, feel the contact with your chair, the floor, cushion. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. In this Buddhist meditation practice, what we're looking at, what we're developing, are the attentional factors of the mind. There's many factors that come into play that help us be attentive, to pay attention. It's not just a singular thing, just to be mindful, just to be aware. But there's a whole ecology of the mind that's operating. And there's many factors that come into play. And so part of developing mindfulness more fully is to understand some of this ecology, the different elements, what's happening in our minds as we're practicing. 
So last week we talked about the five hindrances as part of this ecology. There, there. I think of them as the strategies uh, we fall back on when we're emotionally challenged by something. And so sometimes we want desires, we want something. Sometimes we have aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, regrets, doubt, are all things that make it very hard to be fully, clearly present. But it's possible to turn your attention towards them. And rather than having them be forces of distraction or forces of getting lost in, you can bring this respectful attention, this second look, and really recognize, oh, this is what's happening. And there's a way that second look can help you be, they're still there, but you're not caught in them. You're free of them, free, free from being you know, enmeshed in them. Oh, I see you desire. Desire, you visit me all the time. And you've been leading me around. You've had the run of the town, you know, run of the mind for years. But you know something? It's time to grow up. And I'm just going to see you and recognize you rather than running off with you or getting caught by you or being pushed around. Anger, aversion, ill will. I see you. I know you. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for me to see you and just recognize you and and not be caught by you, not be bullied by you or seduced by you into that your world. I just see you. It's a powerful thing to see us see. And so, um, so the five hindrances are very important parts, important things for mindfulness practitioners to really learn well. And we just, you know scratch a surface, but uh, the emphasis is to, right now is to, as I did last week, is just uh, pointing out how important they are for your study. And the book you should read is in your, inside you, how it works for you. So today, it's the five, what's called the five faculties. It's part of the inner ecology of attention. There are different uh, uh, factors of mind that are mobilized when we're bring attention to something. In fact, they're not unique to meditation. Uh, they are pervasive, they're there all the time and no matter what we're doing, these five factors are there to some degree. If you are going to ride your bicycle, if you don't have confidence that you're gonna ride your bicycle, it, you can get kind of wobbly. But if you have confidence, it can go kind of easy. And you have different degrees of confidence depending on where you ride. But you can feel the confidence changing. If you're riding a bike down a steep hill going fast and it's all wet and at the bottom, you know, you, you should probably not have a lot of confidence that you're gonna make it through, especially if you have to turn at the bottom, which I did once when I was 14. And the bike kept going and I didn't, fell off. So the, um, you know, so what kind of co- confidence is, you know, there's some confidence in riding a bike. You have to apply effort in riding your bike. The application of effort, the hearing that, that language of application of effort, some people just get tired hearing it. Oh, more effort. But some people who would hear that and think, what a drag, they would just jump on their bike right away. They'd love riding their bike. They don't think of it as applying effort, they're playing. 
there's, but there's some energy involved, some effort involved, some application, engagement. There has to be some attention, awareness of what you're doing when you're in a bike. Which I didn't have when I was also 14. I had a wonderful bike stories when I was 14. Uh, I was riding my bike happily along. And the next thing I knew, I, I ran smack into a car that was parked. What was it doing there? <laughs> suddenly, suddenly it got, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where was I? You know, I was, I, my attention was not, I wasn't very mindful. I don't know what I was doing at the moment, but I clearly didn't see the parked car. There was lack of mindfulness. And then it helps if you have some concentration when you're on your bike. Sometimes you really need to be focused and stay there. The cars are going by, things are going on. You have a narrow thing you have to pass through. And so you have to have some ability to stay kind of focused and concentrated on what you're doing. And then we ride a bicycle, you need to have some understanding of what's happening. You have to understand well, there's water there, there's gravel there, there's a parked car there, you better get out of the way. There's a bike, when I was a young kid, there were railroad tracks or trolley tracks and you don't want to have your bike fall into the trolley tracks. So I had the understanding to not fall into them. And, you know, if I was going to cross them, I had to cross them with enough angle so I wouldn't fall in. So there's a whole slew of understandings. But I used the example of the bicycle because for some people who have been biking for some time, these things become second nature. And we don't think that they're operating. But they are operating. And at some point, if something happens to you, you notice you lose some of those abilities. You lose your confidence. You have an accident or you get sick or you have injury or something and you don't have confidence anymore. Have the energy anymore? So all kinds of things can happen. Cooking, these five faculties, five mental factors, have to be there to some degree. And so it's possible to evaluate anything you do from the point of these five different factors. And they can be very helpful because you, sometimes you can identify where something is kind of not quite right. You can recognize that I'm not so confident here. And so I'm hesitating, and that's kind of interfering. Or I'm not really giving myself to the task at hand. Or I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. Or I'm not really uh, focused on what I'm doing. It's different between paying attention and really focused and, and really giving yourself focus attention. Or I'm not paying attention in a way where I can understand what's happening. I can tell the details and what's needed here and there and how to adjust. So these are, for many situations in life, these are second nature to do this. In tasks which are new and we're trying to learn, then uh, sometimes it's helpful to, be, to point out these different factors and we can we develop confidence or energy or understanding. All these things are developed over time by doing it. So the same thing happens in meditation. Same thing happens with mindfulness. It's possible to recognize, or to, it's possible to have mindfulness supported by confidence. If there's plenty of confidence, you know, it can be really easy to be mindful. If you have more confidence in mindfulness than you have in your neurosis, then you'll give more attention to your mindfulness. If you have more confidence in attention than you have in your ill will or your desire or your hindrances, it's easier to want to be mindful. But not, not that anybody thinks this way about themselves, but you know, functionally, 
it looks like is a lot of people have a lot of confidence in their desire, their aversion, their sloth and torpor, their doubt, especially doubt. I mean, when that comes up, you know, boy, am I confident in my doubt because I'm not going to let up. I'm just like zeroing in. I'm like thinking about it and lost in my doubt, concerned. And, you know, we don't think of the, you know, confidence being part of it, but there's a kind of confidence there. So the idea is, if you can have confidence, more confidence in the mindfulness, it's easier to engage in it. You know it's valuable, it's important, you believe in it. And so, yes, I want to show up and do this. So what's the degree of confidence? This effort. I've known people who kind of think it's, and I've seen it in myself. You know, I think, oh, it's, I have confidence, I should do this. This is the day to do it. Okay, I, finally, I've made time, I sit down to meditate. And, well, actually, you know, yes, but, oh, well, you know, I'll get to it, you know, or, you know, you know, you know, thinking a little bit and, you know, oh, you know, I'll get around to it or, you know, the engagement is not there. And sometimes, you know, you can, you can see in yourself how engaged you are, how sincere or intent you are, or how little effort you're making. It's one of the one of the challenges of people who meditate a lot. After a while, it gets easy to meditate, and then a complacency sets in. And complacency means that we're comfortable and relaxed in meditation, but we're no longer giving effort. We're no longer making effort in practice. And in that complacency and relaxed state that people can sometimes attain, the mind begins to wander off into daydream, and they don't even notice it. So what's the level of effort we're making? And then the concentration factor. You know, you know, it's one thing to be mindful, see what's going on, but it's another thing to really give a second look, really be there and hone in on this. What is this hindrance? What is this breathing experience? Let me really hone in and tune in, like tuning into a radio. We tune in to that frequency of the breathing. Tune in, really get to know it. Stay, stay, stay with it, really. And then um, the understanding piece. So you understand when the mind gets pulled into a hindrance. You understand that that's not what you want. What you want to do. You understand when the mind reacts negatively, or or to the hindrance being there, and you judge yourself negatively. And you, because you see yourself doing it, you realize I don't have to believe in that. I don't have to invest much energy into continuing to be self-critical of myself because I got distracted. I can just do, practice uh, the respectful attention thing. Look at that. Let me take another look, respectfully, at this mind that got distracted. So there's understanding that's operating. This comes to the question of fixing. We don't necessarily fix, but we have this understanding of what's useful and what we pay attention to and the different, uh, how it all, what's, how what's happening in the moment. If there's no understanding, then that's not supporting us. So some of you now have learned about the hindrances. You understand something you maybe didn't understand before. So now as you practice, that understanding helps you support you to be more present and less caught in the hindrances. And then finally, there's awareness or mindfulness. That awareness, the ability to clearly see what's happening, to have that second look and clearly recognize whether it's the hindrance, whether it's the breathing, whether it's the sensations of your body, whatever you're paying attention to in the moment. 
or whether you're noticing the, five, the, the other four faculties, other four factors, you know, you clearly see the degree of confidence, clearly see the degree of effort, of concentration, of understanding. This is not meant to be a lot of work. But when we first start getting on the bicycle, it's kind of wobbly. And you might get tired because you're getting a hang of it. But after a while, you get the hang of it, and after a while, you say, "Look, ma, no, no hands." You know, you, you know, just it's easy, and you just go, go biking along, and it seems second nature. So, as we develop mindfulness practice, as a meditation, it, it becomes after a while stronger, and starts becoming more second nature. And some of these different elements of it, noticing how it all works, starts becoming more second nature. It becomes easy. It's just oh, it's obvious. It's, you know, you're like, how could I ever miss this? How could I never have seen this? And um, and so um, so the, so last week I was emphasized the importance of getting to know the five hindrances. This week it's what's called the five faculties in our Buddhist tradition. So confidence, energy, concentration, and understanding. Usually uh, in uh, in in uh, the understanding piece is called the wisdom, which it makes it gives it a more grand title. You know, most people want to be wise rather than understanding, so we call it wisdom. And then, um, and sometimes the confidence one is called faith, and rather than confidence, and uh, that works for some people. Doesn't work for others. I like the word confidence. Uh, I also like the word trust. Sometimes to really trust mindfulness, trust awareness, so that we trust awareness, we trust, we trust this kind of mindfulness more than we trust the hindrances. And you can measure, you can see, not measure, but you can kind of notice, gauge, the relative degree of trust you have for this practice. And for me, because I've, after doing this practice for a while, one of the great gifts of this practice was a tremendous trust in mindfulness practice. I just, like, like, you know, I trust it almost more than anything else in my life because I've seen so many circumstances how mindfulness is like the door to to freedom, the door to understanding, the door to find my way and understand how to, you know, navigate this world that we live in. It's, you know, so I, I have this unshakable faith in mindfulness and attention that I didn't actually, didn't used to have. So, um, so last week it was the five things that make it hard to be mindful. This week is the five things that support our ability to be mindful. Do you have any questions or comments you want to make about that or any things you want to ask, ask about the meditation practice that we did? And while, maybe while you're thinking about asking a question, Maybe I can ask someone, maybe Hillary or someone, to go up in my office or on the ca- or on the counter upstairs somewhere. There's a colored sheet of paper with a, today's handout. Yes, please. So you can use the mic. It's on when the light is on. Um, you once mentioned that um, um, sometimes in the evening when you come and try to meditate, um, there are times when you would fall would feel very sleepy then but after some time so you will just at that time you accept that and after a while you will wake up to extreme clarity 
Yes, that, that, that was a pattern I had for a while. Yeah, so how, how do you know when to put in the effort and when to let go? So because sometimes it happens in the evenings when I try to meditate, there is like this, uh, you start off alert, but then as you start meditating, you get into uh, a very sleepy state, and then you come out of it. Um, you had that experience too? I had that experience Great. very often. Oh, so good. Um, but it, it, it's, it, it could be a good 20 minutes. Um, so we, we don't know whether you should resist and focus and put your concentration and not count one, two, three, or just give up. So oh, Never give up. So, so, um, so what I mentioned sometimes, that it was a period of my life where I'd meditate um, uh, around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening coming back from work. And um, I'd been up since 4.30 or 5. So it was reasonable I was tired by that time. Busy day and getting up early. And um, I would sit for 40 minutes. And um, the first 20 minutes I was nodding off and kind of falling asleep. And then at some point uh, I just um, uh, would wake up. And it was super clear, really nice and clear and crisp. So good, because I guess I had had a kind of a nap. <laughs> or something, or so, so something had dissipated. I kind of, kind of shed some kind of tiredness or something. But uh, I never gave up. I never used it as a technique. I didn't think, well, now I should take a nap by sitting here. I don't think that's useful. But rather, um, is to I tried my best with the the ability I had when I was so sleepy to practice. But it, the amount of my ability was really low. So my practice was not very hot, not very good. But I didn't worry about that. I was content to, to I was content to do the best I could, not as the best as you know a super person could do, just just best I could that moment. So that sincerity, that dedication, is needed, um, and it helps if you're not bothered by the sleepiness. Don't be upset with yourself. Don't be upset with yourself that you're not succeeding in staying present because you keep drifting off. But whenever you can, you make your best effort. And that's the way that, and then trust the process. So even if you're falling asleep, you can, okay, wake up, do again, try again, do your best. But don't, don't uh, try too hard. Like, don't count really vigorously and hard and just, you know, just be sincere and try your best. And So that's what I did. So that's what you're referring to. Is that you think give you something? So I was struggling a little bit with the guided meditation. Um, I, f- I feel, and you know, after you explained, it became a little more clear, but still confusing. I think the f- five hindrances, like they were clear to me. The five faculties, they're not clear to me because they seem to be overlapping. Uh-huh. Like it was, the other one was clear what category. E- each were different from each other. Yes, but it's kind of like, you know, understanding, well, if I'm not concentrated, I don't have understanding. If I'm not confident, I'm not con- concentrated. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like they're, they're all intertwined. Yes, I think so. The other so. one was clear. So I'm, I'm yeah, well, they're, they're often intertwined. Hindrances are maybe sometimes more intertwined than we realize that operate together. Um, you know, we have desire. And yeah, then but what d- I meant is I could see I have both, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is accurate, <clears throat> that these are part of the ecology of the mind. And so they work together in harmony and in relationship to each other. So, um, you know, so how much they overlap or how much they're, they're not, maybe they're not so completely discrete. But you can have a sense of, there's a lot, some people have a lot of confidence, lots of faith, lots of trust, but they have very little understanding. Some people have a lot of understanding, but not enough trust to kind of just relax and just stay with the process. People who, um, you know, who read a lot about meditation, they can know a lot, they can understand so much. They can know like better than me, you know, all the different ins and outs of meditation, and how it all works, but they've never done it. But they sit down, they, all this understanding comes along and they're like, you know, buzzing and, you know, because of understanding. They have no trust, they have no ability to have confidence and, and relax. Concentration has a lot to do with relaxation, being stable. So they can't concentrate and stay in a relaxed way, present for the experience. So all these things come into play together. And uh, sometimes it's really clear that one is uh, lacking, one is really weak. Other times it's clear that one is really strong. Um, And sometimes these they exist in balance, and that's part of a whole series of teaching in Buddhism, keeping the five faculties in balance because they relate together. And the 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 two pairs that are said to balance is faith or confidence and wisdom or understanding. And if there's too much of one or too much of the other, it uh, doesn't go so well. The, um, the, um, uh, and then, um, uh, I think that if you have a lot of understanding, a person can be swimming in their understanding, thinking about what they want, uh, trying to negotiate, trying to fix, trying to um, um, analyze what's going on. But uh, they, don't, they don't have faith in the process so they don't relax and settle down and let the thinking mind get quiet. There's no inspiration for it. There's no, you, don't, you don't really believe in the process. You don't believe in the... Sometimes the confidence has to do with confidence in oneself. They have no confidence that they can do it. They don't trust themselves enough. There are other people who have excessive confidence in themselves, but they have no understanding. And so they keep making the same mistake over and over again. So, that, so this is a the, the classic Buddhist image of this is um, and maybe you, you don't have to like this. Maybe it's not a nice analogy, but it gives you the idea that faith is like someone who's blind, and um, and uh, wisdom is like someone who, who can see, and so um, but has um, but has no strength. The faith person can't see, but is very strong but the wise person is weak, but can see clearly. So the faith person puts the wise person on the shoulders. And together they can find their way. And then, and then uh, effort and concentration go together because the, 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 the idea of concentration in Buddhism is a focus, focusing continuously or, or really honing into something together with relaxation. And so the uh, concentrated mind is also a very relaxed mind. So you, you don't concentrate by bearing down in Buddhism. You concentrate almost by letting go and softening into the experience, but really concentrating. And, um, but uh, because it involves relaxation, uh, it, it needs to be balanced with effort and energy. If there's not enough energy, 
people who get concentrated will fall asleep. But if there's no concentration but a lot of energy, it tends to be agitating. So we sit down, we, like, we just had a cup of, you know, coffee, intense coffee, and we're really energy, energized and agitated, but there's no concentration. So, they, so part of what we do in meditation is sometimes is to be able to recognize these things, especially energy and concentration, to see, I'm getting, I'm getting too concentrated here with not enough energy. I need to up the degree of engagement. Or I'm too energized. I think I need to calm down. Let me just stay concentrated on the breath for a while. Ride the breath. Soothe myself with the breath. Relax with the breathing. And as I get focused and concentrated breathing, the energy level comes down to a more useful way. So I, I think I understand what my confusion was. Is I think I took those words differently than you explained. You're using the words differently? Yes, because like if I was going to write again, I guess I was thinking about your homework from last week. And so I would think, okay, I'm con- very concentrated on this set with very little effort. But then on that set, I put a lot more effort to get that level of concentration. Um, so I think I'm seeing it differently. I, I just need to... Maybe, maybe not, but this is what I said earlier too. Don't worry too much about uh, getting exactly what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, what's important is that you have an understanding that you're experimenting with and you're finding your way, your ecology, how your mind works, and it supports you to become clear, more present, more free. Mm. I think that's that's probably... You're close enough. We can pass the mic straight back. No, but it, it's so some people have hearing assistant devices, and so since confidence and trust go together, uh, when confidence is low, then we would like we need to believe, right? We need to trust the system. Oh. Uh, but what, 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 what exactly does that mean? Trusting yeah. the system. Just oh, tr- oh, so trusting. So I like the word trust. For some people, the word trust doesn't work because trust and faith, for example, people associate in sometimes with uh, uh, blind religious belief, like I have to believe the creed or the tenets. Um, so um, when you ride a bicycle, you, you can also say, I, tr- I trust that it's okay to ride my bike across this road or on this trip. And someone that's simple where I trust it. It means that I have confidence in it means that I'm confident in myself taking this trip. If I say I trust taking the trip on the bike, that means not only that I, I trust that I can do it, but I trust the conditions are just right on the roads and the traffic, and I trust that the, the world out there is good enough that I can make my trip on the bike. So it's a trust is a little bit bigger than confidence. Confidence tends to be, in my vocabulary, more personal, whereas trust is kind of a wider thing. And so for me, when I use the word trust in mindfulness, it's not just trusting my ability to practice, but trusting the overall process that I'm part of uh, when I'm practicing. Does that make some sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about this balance between concentration and energy. Um, and in particular, I've noticed when that I've had times where like, I'm feeling like very calm and settled in meditation and I'm starting to kind of like 
doze off a little bit. Um, but I guess when I think of putting effort in, a lot of times it seems to be like laser focus bearing down sort of thing. I can't quite hear. When you, put a, when, you put, when you think of putting a lot of effort in, then... Um, it tends to be like agitated effort. Okay, yes. And I'm curious if there are like approaches where it may be less agitating. Well, you know, I, a little bit to be maybe a little apologetic to offer you this kind of answer. And that is that, um, it's, first I want to say it's great that you see that. So, so sometimes you have an agitated effort. And because you see it, then uh, that's understanding. And you're saying that somehow that doesn't quite work. So you have two, two general choices, wise choices. One is to give that a second look and just bring, bring this respectful attention to the agitated energy. What is it like? And just be curious about it and be with it. And it probably changes if you bring that kind of respectful attention just to f- see it. The other thing you can do is you might say, well, maybe there's another way. And maybe there's some way of settling it. Maybe there's another way of applying effort. And so you can experiment a little bit with different things. And one of the experiments is to uh, choose something very simple like the breathing and just stay with the breathing for a while. Maybe breathing a teeny bit bigger, bigger breaths and relaxing as you exhale until maybe that will relax you and the agitation will fall away. Is that understandable? The, the different options? But it, what I'm doing is turning it back to you to experiment with because you're understanding what you're seeing is great. And so now that you, now that you see it, um, it, the task is really for you to start, uh, you know, uh, looking around and experimenting. Yeah, I think so. I guess it, the concept of what right effort looks like is also just a little bit nebulous. It's kind of fuzzy in my mind what exactly that effort is that we are applying. Yeah, I think that that's uh, one way of knowing the, what's the appropriate effort is that it's not agitating and it's not uh, dull. It just it feels like a clean, clean application. Um, I have often wrestled with the same thing. And when I find that um, I'm bearing down, so to speak, then I find that my agitation, I can, like bring it back to the body for me. Like, if whatever's swirling around in me, there's somewhere physically where I can try to kind of find where that nucleus is, I guess. And then I just bring the breath there. So. Very nice. So if you find, you're saying that if there's too much energy going on, you can look around the body where that energy lives. Mm-hmm. And if you bring attention to that, to hold that with the respectful attention, it can settle out by itself. Yeah, very nice. Well, I'd like to end back there. She hasn't had a chance. Thank you. Um, I think sort of flipping this one, right? So if you're, uh, if, if it, and kind of aligning that with the sleepiness problem that we were talking about earlier, which is if it's not that you're, you're concentrating and you're falling asleep and you simply cannot bring up the level of energy, um, the, the, the feeling I have is sort of like swimming in oil trying to come out of it um, and I'm wondering if there's approaches you suggest to um, do the opposite of what I think they were talking about which is calming down yes. the meditation uh-huh. and yeah. bring up the energy. Yeah. Yes, very good. So sometimes you can um, sit up straighter. And just uh, sitting up straighter can give more energy and alertness. 
Sometimes you can brighten the mind by uh, focusing more, a little more actively to recognize what's happening in the moment. And one, some people use what's called mental noting. And so if you use mental noting to note, you, in, the mind, in the mind you're kind of saying, hearing, breathing, sensing, aching. And, but you do it a little faster and a little bit louder in the mind so there's more energy to it. So those are some simple ideas. Some people open their eyes and there tends to be a little more alert if the eyes are open. Some people who find themselves that sleepiness is a real issue that seems like a drag and um, don't have the nice experience of waking up halfway through or something. Um, uh, sometimes it's really great in daily life practice to instead of doing sitting meditation to do walking meditation. And uh, because when walking tends to bring more energy in and... Um, and uh, we tend to be more alert. And some people find that walking meditation works better for them than sitting meditation. Or if you like to sit, you might do uh, 10 minutes of walking meditation, maybe even a little bit of vig- vigorous walking meditation to get some the energy going, and then to sit down. So, yeah, here. Yes. Um, my, my question is, how, how do you distinguish uh, needs from... Desires that what was the first one? Distinguish? Needs and desires. Me? Um, I. Oh, needs. need. Need. Yes. Um, I consider desire as something you can live without, but you consider needs as something you can't live without. Uh-huh. And uh, I think when, you, when I meditate, I can mentally solve everything through meditation but sometimes your emotion just does not agree with it so it's always sort of conflicts between the minds and the emotion How yeah that? yeah I'm not sure what to say but that um, there's a difference between need and and desire uh, meditate if, if, if uh, one of the reference points for this is meditation practice and in meditation itself you hopefully will choose a time and place to meditate where in that, in that time, in that location, that ta- during that time, um, there's no needs that have to be satisfied. So you've, you've had enough, for example, you've had enough food to eat, so you're not, you don't need to eat right then, there. You do need to eat, but you don't need to eat right then. You don't need to solve some of the problems of your life 